0: Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peak's downloadable messages and podcast. This week we begin a brand new seven-part series entitled Life Principles from the Book of Proverbs. And the first message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, And he'll be speaking on The Power of Perspective. Well, today we are kicking off this new series. It's called The Power of Perspective, Life Lessons from the Book of Proverbs. And you know, Proverbs is one of my very favorite books in the Bible because it's just so practical. It's going to have a lot of fun talking about these different topics that it raises. And it just applies to every area of our life. And I'm calling this series The Power of Perspective because um, Proverbs is all about wisdom. And my own personal definition for wisdom is wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. Um, I want you to imagine if you could stand on a really high hill and you could look down and see your life from beginning to end... You could see from the time you're a little child, you know, to the very last day. You could see your whole life. In fact, you could not only see your life from beginning to, live, to end, you could see every person's life who's ever lived from beginning to end. Can you imagine the wisdom that it would give you? It's like, oh, that's how to do life. Oh, don't, oh, don't make that turn. That's the wrong turn. Don't make that decision, you know? And you'd be able to see, get a big picture of how life works. Well, that's really what Proverbs is all about. It's, it's like life from God's perspective. Here's how to do marriage. Here's how to handle your finances. Oh, here's some issues with sexuality you need to be aware of. Hey, on your job, here's some if anger. And and God just kind of lays out for us all these practical topics of how life works. And and it's just, there's tremendous power in that. Because as we receive, uh, as we get God's perspective, it gives us the power to change. And the power to do life the way it's supposed to be done. And uh, and so uh, perspective is just such an important thing. I remember when I was uh, about 10 years old, we had some neighbors down the street and they, their, their roof was leaking one year. And so I don't know why. My dad's just been a good Samaritan or something. We didn't really know these people very well. In fact, hardly knew them at all. And, uh, but my dad, uh, offered our help, uh, offered me. Um, and, uh, so it was a Saturday and, and he and I went down there and they're tearing apart the roof. Not just putting on shingles or something, but I mean, they're tearing apart the whole roof. So they got the, the, you know, the plywood off and, and uh, I'd never been on a roof before. I mean, I'd been on a roof like to get a baseball or something like that, but I'd never really, you know, thought through how a roof is made or constructed. And, you know, so you can imagine this. You have this pitch on the roof. I'm standing on the pitch, right? Now, if you've never thought about this before, here's how you're standing up here. You look down through this hole in the roof and, and you see the ceiling joists or rafters going along parallel. And then, you know, uh, in between these, there's this white solid stuff uh, there. And, of course, if you were underneath, looking from the, the living room up, you would see it's drywall. That white stuff is drywall. But from up above, you know, it looks incredibly solid. And um, <laughs> so I was about 10 years old, and I dropped something. I'm standing up on the pitch of this roof, and, and I think, oh, I'm just going to, you know, jump down there and get that. And, you know, the only good thing about this story is that I didn't straddle one of the boards. Um, and, <laughs> uh, but can you, I mean, I was the most surprised kid in the world at that moment. I take this little three foot hop down, bunny hop, you know, and I, I came right through their living room, you know, right through in their living room ceiling, crashing down, just huge coffee table there, just missed it. I mean, I could have killed myself. And now they have like a five or six foot hole in the middle of their living room. They said, thank you very much. We think you can go home now. I uh, appreciate your help. And, you know, I was thinking about it in preparing this message, the power of perspective. And is isn't that the way it is. It said, I just didn't know how life worked. It looks solid to me. It looks solid, made sense. It looks firm. I'm going to jump down there, and it'd be great. You know, and many times it's like that in life. We, oh, I know, I, I can see how marriage works. Oh, I get how finances work. Oh, I get this whole sex thing. Oh, I get the anger. I know how to handle that. And we make these leaps in our life, these leaps of logic, only to come crashing down and make these huge holes in our life. And the thing is, for our life, you know, for, for this kind of a funny story, I, I'm pretty much over that fall, It'll tick every once in a while, but um, I'm pretty much over that fall, but, you know, and so it makes a funny story, but, you know, in our own lives, life is serious business. We make these leaps sometimes, we leave huge holes in our life, you know, that it takes years or sometimes we never recover from. There's a great verse in Proverbs, it's sort of like a theme verse for me, of Proverbs, it's there in your note sheet, 1625. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. That was like my life verse that day. <laughs> you know, there's a way that I'm just going to jump down here. Hey, but isn't that true in other areas of a life? We think we have it wired. We take that leap and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, was I wrong, blow a huge hole in the living room of our life. And so that's why I love Proverbs because Proverbs comes along and it says, hey, don't make that leap stay off that path. No, you don't want to go that way. It tells us, here's how to get the most out of life. And I hope you can just be with us every week as we go through it. It's one of the most important books in my life. It's uh, one that shaped me tremendously. Home life, personal life, uh, sexual purity issues, uh, what else? Leadership, wisdom. I mean, it's just, I, I can't imagine where my life would be without the book of Proverbs. You know, it's just, it's so helpful. And so, Uh, We're going to be looking at all kinds of practical topics in the next 8 to 10 weeks. I hope you can be here every week, and if you can't be here, download it, you know, uh, if you're on your iPod or your computer, or get it on your CD afterwards, something like that. All right, now, here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to separate this message into two major sections. Um, The first section I'm calling uh, Solomon's Preface to Proverbs. He starts off the book, uh, written by King Solomon, he starts off with five, six, seven verses. We're going to look at five today. That um, they tell you why he wrote the book and what the book is about. And so we'll spend a little bit less time there. Then we're gonna spend most of our time in a section called Solomon's Two Steps to Success. Because this book is all about how to be successful in life. Now it's not, not narrowly defined, like not just financially or career, but you know, in any area of life, you know, relationships, family, you know, whatever, anger, so on. And so he's going to tell us, and, and if you could, if you stand back from the book of Proverbs and say, so what is the message of the book of Proverbs? You can really boil it down into about two basic steps, two basic principles. Here's how to be successful in life. And so we're going to start today kind of taking the wide angle lens, big picture of the book, and then we'll start zeroing back in telephoto in the coming weeks. All right. So let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. It starts off in verse 1, like most chapters do. And there's a couple things I want you to notice. <laughs> Some of you are like, huh? Um, a couple things I want you to notice right off the bat. Notice it says it's the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now there's two or three things I want to point out here. Number one, um, most of the book of Proverbs is written by King Solomon. We'll, we'll study a little bit about him a little bit later. Um, but he was the son of David. And one of the cool things I always like to point out when I'm teaching in Proverbs is how amazing this is, that God would choose Solomon, of all people, to be so wise and to bless us with this wisdom. Because, um, I don't know if you know the story, but, you know, King David, um, he had an affair. An affair was with Bathsheba, and the son that came out of that marriage, not the first son, the second son out of that marriage, first son died as part of a, a judgment of God, the first son that came out of that that lived was Solomon. And so here you have this relationship that never should have happened in the first place. I mean, this marriage never should have happened. It wasn't God's will. It wasn't God's plan. It came out of disobedience. You have a son. And yet God chooses this son to write the book of Proverbs. And to me, it's always such a beautiful picture. You know, sometimes we think in life that because of some stupid thing we did or some rebellion or some sin that God has done with us you know that hey i blew it you know i never should have married this person or i should never should have and so therefore now i'm off track and i'll never be able to experience god's blessing in my life cuz i'm just off track anyway like if anything in the bible is a story that says that is just not the truth it's a story of solomon's life in fact when he was born god said i want you to call him a special kind of a nickname his name is Jedediah, which means loved of god And so it's just such a beautiful picture of God's grace in our life that when we turn back like David did, we ask for his forgiveness, we get back on the potter's wheel, how God can remake something new and beautiful. You know, we don't like live the rest of our life as second-class citizens. Okay, that's just sort of for free. All right. So two things. First of all, it's written by Solomon, uh, primarily. There's some other guys that also write later on, King Lemuel, Augur, there's some other sayings, but it's mostly Solomon, um. But then secondly, notice that these are Proverbs. And I say so, it's kind of obvious, but no, we need to catch this. It doesn't say the promises of King Solomon. It says the Proverbs of King Solomon. And this is very important in terms of interpreting the book. Because a proverb by nature is a principle of how life normally works out. It's not a promise. A promise is when God says, I will be with you always, that's a promise, take it to the bank, it's always, promises always come true in the Bible. But Proverbs are how, how life normally works, how it usually works, and it's important we, we get this. Like, so for, let me give you an example. The last couple of weeks, when the, the last two messages, I quoted a proverb from Proverbs 16, where it says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. So in other words, if, if, you're, if you're a person, you come up with a plan in your life and you work your plan, you work hard, that you will lead to financial profit. That's how you get ahead in life. You, you come up with a good plan, and you work your plan. Now, would you agree with me that's generally true? That's how life works? People who work hard get ahead, right? Okay, that, but is it always true? Well, no. Sometimes you have a plan, you're diligent with the plan, and you have a terrible accident. Sometimes you come up with a terrible disease. Sometimes an employee rips you off of your whole company. Sometimes the economy goes south for your whole sector of the economy, and you, you're, you know, it's not just your construction business, all construction goes, right? So is it always true that the plans of the diligent lead to pro- No, no, but it's how normally life normally works out. And that's what proverbs do. A proverb by nature tells you this is how life normally works. And so we'll, we'll talk about that as the series goes on. Let's move on. So it's the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And here's why he wrote them. He said, I wrote them for attaining wisdom and discipline. And I want you to underline those two words. Those are two very important words. We'll come back later. They're the words that will give us our principles, the two steps to success. He says, I wrote this so you could attain two things, wisdom and discipline. So that you could understand words of insight. And so you can acquire a discipline and a prudent, that just means wise, a prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. So he said, I wrote this so that you could you could attain wisdom, you could get discipline, you could live the life as it's supposed to live. And then he tells who he wrote it for. In verse 4 and 5, he says, Okay, so it's for giving prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the young. Now, in the book of Proverbs, the word simple is not a good word. Um, you don't want to be described as a simple person. I know there's times in life where you say, we want to have a simple faith. That's good. But in the book of Proverbs, simple means someone who just doesn't really get it. Someone who just doesn't really understand how life works. Maybe they're naive. Maybe they just not real quick on the uptake. But they just kind of go through life bumbling, making stupid decisions. That's what Proverbs says. They're simple. All right. So, So I'm writing it for simple people who don't get it to help them get smart. Okay, and he said, "I'm writing it for the young people. You know, many of you here—maybe you're in high school, you're in college, you're just starting off in life. You're trying to figure out how does life work." He says, "Well, the reason I wrote this book is so so people who are young don't have to learn through the school of hard knocks, so they can get wisdom young." He says, "However, verse five—it's also for the wise people." He says, "Those of you who are wise here at Rocky Peak, so so you." You've walked with Jesus a long time. He's taught you a lot of things. You've learned through the school of hard knocks. You have a lot of wisdom. He says, this book is written for you too. He says, if that's you, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. And so that's what we're going to do in this series. Whether you're young and a new, or a new follower of Jesus or you've made a lot of bad decisions in your life and you haven't figured out how life works Or whether you've walked with Jesus a long time and you've got a lot of natural wisdom and you do understand how life works, doesn't matter. He says whether you're new or whether you're old at this, whether you're not so wise or you're really wise, we're going to study in the next eight to ten weeks, we're going to study some of the key topics of the book of Proverbs. And we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to say as a church here at Rocky Peak, What does it mean to develop the mind of Christ? What does it mean to think like he does, to see life from his perspective so he can really succeed in all these practical areas from marriage and parenting and family and finances and being single and sexual life and all these practical things? How can we succeed in these areas of our life? All right? So, now there in your note sheet, the next section is Solomon's Two Steps to Success. Now, like I said, you you can take all of Solomon's advice and kind of boil it down into two big picture principles. I'm calling it two steps to success. And and so we're going to look at those. Number one. Here's number one. It comes right out of Proverbs. We'll see it in a few minutes. But it goes like this. Get wisdom. He says, if you want to be successful in life, you need it to make it your top goal in life to become a wise person. Now, it's interesting. What he's going to say is don't aim for the byproducts of success to the byproducts of success financial wealth good friendships a good marriage uh, uh kind of a healthy sexual license don't aim at the byproducts aim at wisdom if, because if you can get wisdom all the byproducts will flow naturally you'll know how to do life in all these areas but if you aim at the specific blessings you're going to miss you're going to miss it in the process now Solomon was, uh, he really modeled this well in his early and middle years of his life. Uh, he's a great example of a man who just went after wisdom. He made it his top priority to understand how life works. Now, the end of his life, he blew it big time. Okay, so that's a story for another day. But in the early, of his, in the early part of his life and the middle years of his life, he did a great job really seeking after wisdom. And so we're going to study a little bit of his story, okay? So take your Bibles and go to 1 Kings chapter 3. To the left in your Bibles. Let me set this up. King Solomon has just become king. He's a fairly young man. He calls himself a young child. He's not really a child, but he's, he's a young man. He's feeling a bit overwhelmed by the job. His father has just passed away. He's on his own. I don't know if you've ever thought of it, but being a king's a big deal. It's a big job. You know, it's a big job description. And he's feeling a little bit overwhelmed by this, and so he wants to seek God's help. And so he goes to this place called Gibeon, and he offers a thousand sacrifices. Now, you know, we're not used to offering sacrifices today. You know, so lots of times we just read that and go, well, that's a lot of sacrifices. I want you to think of the financial cost of that. Uh, think of what a side of beef costs today. Okay, now a thousand sides of beef. You see what I'm saying? We're talking major financial investment. So he's really seeking after God and says, God, I just want to... I need your help with this. I'm seeking your wisdom. And, and so he, he does these sacrifices, and that night he has a dream. And in the middle of the night, God comes from this dream, and he asks him a question, and, that, and that's where we, we start, okay? So chapter 3 and verse 4. It says, The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a 1,000 burnt offerings on the altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and here's what he said. Solomon, you know, I got the sacrifices, you got my attention, I know you're serious, so here's, here's my deal. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Wow. A blank check from God. Now think about that. Now I know some of you probably never read this story, so just don't read any farther. Stop. Okay? Some of you know this story. I want, to, I want you to picture yourself there. In fact, let's say it's tonight. You go to bed, middle of the night, 3 a.m., you have this really powerful, clear dream, unlike any other dream you've ever had before, and God shows up and he says, I am so impressed the way you're seeking me. I mean, you got your life journal, you know? (laughs) You joined a life group. Good job. You put me in the box, you know? Talked about that last week. And you know, Pastor Mike, he's been saying that this year that God's going to come to us with different opportunities for growth. And boy, was he right. And you, today's your day. He says, so here's what I want to know. As we go into 2006, I want to know, what do you want? Blank check. Now, what are you going to ask for? (laughs) And I think most of us would ask for, what would we ask for? Maybe health, maybe that new RV. Uh, Maybe we'd ask that uh, our daughter would break up with that guy. Um, (laughs) You know what? What would we ask for? God, I need a husband. Um, he's like, you got a husband? <laughs> no, that's what I mean. um, <laughs> uh, um, You know what, what? would he ask for? He asked for wealth. He asked for health. He asked for success. He asked for the president of your company. You know, he asked to play pro football. You know what? What would you ask for if God came to you and said, blank check? Ask for whatever you want. I remember when uh, when our daughters were young. Um, they, like my oldest, Alyssa, was six, and Bree was four, and we would go up every year to this uh, cabin uh, in Julian. It's a uh, mountain town outside of um, outside of San Diego County and uh, it used to be a gold mining town and so, so now they're famous for apples apple pie apple um, you know apple butter uh, apple cider uh, they've got a great uh, bakery Dudley's Bakery nearby potato bread and so on and so every year at Thanksgiving we would take the strip up <coughs> to this cabin we'd load up on the potato bread and the apple pie and apple cider, we take up uh, boxes of books and games, we go on walks as a family, and and from the time my my daughter was in kindergarten, my oldest was in kindergarten, we did this for 18 years straight, it was just amazing, great times as a family, and so it was one of the first years we were out there, I think it might have been the first, but my daughter was like five or six, I think she was in kindergarten, and one day we're driving back from the cabin into town. And, and so I don't know why, we, we don't normally do this sort of thing, but for some reason I was telling the story of Solomon. And of course, they'd never heard the story of Solomon. They're four and six. And so I get to that point in the story where God says you can ask for whatever you want. And, and uh, so I stopped the story at that point and I said to my oldest daughter, so what would you ask for if God asked you that question? There she is, six years old. And it's really funny because I'm watching her in the rearview mirror as I'm driving. And I can tell she's taking this question to heart. I mean, it's serious business, and she is just, she is thinking, and meanwhile, my four-year-old daughter is trying to get her attention, and she's leaning over and trying to whisper, so I don't hear, she just goes, ask for a (laughs) hundred dollars, and my six-year-old's like waving her off, she's like a fly, you know, no, 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 and then she's thinking again, and then she's, I can just see her little mind, you know, it's turning the wheels, turning, and And so my four-year-old's not to be, you know, put off. So she's like back at, ask second time. Ask for $100. No, no, that's not it. And so she thinks about it. She says, well, dad, she says, I think what I'd ask for is I would ask God to make me a really wise person. I looked at Lynn and said, whose daughter is this? You know? I was there. I think she's ours, but. uh, Well, that's what Solomon did. Solomon said, God, I'm really up against it. Man, I'm I'm this young king. I don't know what I'm doing. I need wisdom to make right decisions and lead this, this people. That's what I really need. Would you give me wisdom? He made it his first step in life to get wisdom. Given the opportunity of having anything, he said his top value was he wanted wisdom. How many people would do that? That's why he wrote Proverbs, right? (laughs) That's why he's a lot smarter than us, why we can learn from him, because how many of us would say, get wisdom, right? And so let's look what he says. In verse 6, Solomon answered, he said, you have shown great kindness, God, to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and he was righteous and upright in heart, and so you've continued this great kindness to him, and you've given him a son, that's me, Solomon, to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, here's my request. You have made your servant, that's me, king, and you're in place of my father, David. But I'm only a little child. I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant here is is among the people you have chosen. It's a great people, too numerous to count or number. So here's my request. Would you give your servant, give me a discerning heart. He's asking for wisdom. To distinguish between what's right and what's wrong. To govern your people and distinguish between what's right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. And so he fills in the check. He says, okay, I've only got one request. Here it is. I want wisdom. I want leadership wisdom. I want to know how to live life. I want to know how to lead these people well. It's a huge job. It's over my head. I'm not asking for money. I'm not asking for success. I'm asking for fame. What I want, God, is I want wisdom. You see how he's modeling this for us? Now look how God responds. So great. Verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And so God said, you know, since you have asked for this and you've not asked for a long life, you haven't asked for wealth for yourself. You've not asked for the death of your enemies. In other words, like military victory. But you've asked for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. That's why we're studying him. (laughs) Verse 13, Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for. I'll give you riches, I'll give you honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways, and you obey my statutes, and you obey my commands, as David your father did, I'll also give you a long life. And then Solomon woke up, and he realized it had been a dream. And what a dream. And Solomon went on to become one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. He was an amazing guy. Uh, This week in your life group homework, you'll read how God blessed him. How God blessed him with, with leadership wisdom, military uh wisdom, political wisdom,- bio, uh, like biology wisdom, a uh, life wisdom, and and how the nation prospered under him, and they, it was the golden age of Israel under Solomon's leadership. It was from that point on, Israel would always look back to the time of David and Solomon and they say, those were the golden years. When the Messiah comes back, it'll be like that again, you see. And so so this is is the man we're studying. And so he says, okay, you want to be wise in life? Or so you want to get the most out of life? You want to be successful? He says, do what I did. You have to make getting wisdom your top priority in life. Now let's look at how he puts it in Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 4. And you'll see where this first point came from. Get wisdom. You say, that's not real original. Get wisdom. You know, was it like got, you know, got milk, got wisdom. But um, it really flows right out of what he says in chapter four. And so he says in chapter four, and verse five, get wisdom. He's, he's talking to his son here. He's, he's counseling his son. Solomon is, and he says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not uh, forget my words or swerve from them and do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Now, interesting. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is often personified as this very wise woman who's out there willing to teach anyone who's willing to listen. And so he says, um, she will protect you. Verse 6, love her and she will watch over you. Now here comes our verse. You want to underline this. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Wisdom. Step number one, you want to be successful in your life? Get wisdom. It's supreme. And the catch is, though it costs all you have, get understanding. What are you after in your life? What am I after in my life? He says, doesn't matter. Whatever the cost, pay it. It's worth it. Now look at chapter 3 and verse 13. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding. Why? Because she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. And here's a great line. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Let me ask you a question. It's just for you, all right? No show of hands. Just for you. I want you to reflect it. What are you trying to get in your life? Man, we're all trying to get something, aren't we? We're trying to get ahead or get rich or get popular. Or we're trying to get stuff. You know, what are you trying to get in your life? What is it that you believe that if I could just get this, I will be happy? If I just get this, I'll be successful. It's amazing how many times in life we get what we were looking for and then we turn around and we go, well, this is not what I thought it was. I now have that position at work. I now have that job. I now have that person. I now have this financial situation. I now have that sexual experience. I now, I got what I was going for. And it's not what I thought it was. And what he says is that, hey, nothing you can compare with wisdom, getting wisdom, nothing's going to match. Nothing that you desire can compare with that. And he tells us some of the benefits of wisdom. Long life is in a right hand In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life. That's a great statement. Tree of life. Remember, Jesus came and said, I've come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. Do you want the most out of life? Do you want to live life to the fullest? He says, well, then you've got to get wisdom as your top priority because if you get wisdom, you get life. Okay, those who lay hold of her will be blessed and what Solomon wants us to understand is this not just a kind of every once in a while oh let's get wisdom no what do you want most in life we're all trying to get something he says we need to get wisdom in that same way bring that same intensity to the table he says every day you need to be approaching life with the attitude of how can I learn how to do this better how can I learn about marriage how can I learn about my finances how can I learn about walking with Jesus every day we should be learning every day We're getting getting better. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. This is a passage you'll study in your life group homework this week, the whole chapter. It's one of those passages where wisdom's personified. It's this beautiful, wise woman who has so much to teach us. But if you go to the end of the chapter in verse 34, look what this this, uh, lady wisdom says. Lady wisdom says in verse 34, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors. See that? There's a sense of almost like, okay, this is the house where wisdom comes out of, this is where she lives, and I'm gonna sit there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch, cause when she comes out, every day she's got something to teach me, and every day I'm gonna be there. Every day. We're gonna talk about this more next week. How do you become a wise person? If step number one is to get wisdom, is it really possible? Is it possible to become a wise person? And the message of the book of Proverbs is, yes, it is. Anyone can become a wise person, but you have to watch daily at the gates. This is not going to come to you just by accident. It's going to come as we seek it, as we pursue it, as we say, yes, I want to make this a top priority. I want to become a wise person. And so I hope you can be with us next week because we're going to really take the whole message is going to be the path to wisdom. How, how, According to the book of Proverbs, how do you become a, a wise person? If step number one to success is get wisdom, how do you get it? And so, hope you can be with us next week. Number two. The second step, he says, is first of all, you have to get wisdom. You have to see life from God's point of view. You have to have those aha moments, I call them, where it's like, oh, I get it. You know, you're trying to raise your kids and you just have a a moment of clarity. Oh, I know how to get them to do what I want. You know, it's just perfect. You know, it's just beautiful. Life's worth those moments, you know. And you, a moment of clarity in, in your marriage, like, oh, I see what I've been doing wrong. It can come in any area of life. Those aha moments. He says, okay, that's number one. Work for the aha moments in your life. Seek those aha moments. But the second step, the second thing we have to get is we have to get discipline. Now, I want you to turn back to Proverbs chapter 1, where we started out. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 2, remember we underlined these verses as we went through. The reason he wrote this book was for attaining, remember, wisdom and discipline, right? And so we've talked about these two steps to success. Get wisdom, get discipline. We've talked about wisdom, seeing life from God's perspective. But what's discipline? Well, this is an interesting word, and it's really hard to translate. Um, It it carries with it at least two or three concepts, and I just want to flesh this out. This is used in different ways in different times in the book of uh, Proverbs. But the Hebrew word carries with it two or three different sort of nuances. And so let me just walk through this. Sometimes the word discipline really refers to uh, like correction. Like a cinnamon would be correction. In other words, like when you discipline your son, you discipline your son, you correct him, right? Or when God disciplines us in our life. So sometimes it can mean correction. Sometimes it means um, uh, like instruction, Sometimes the word, and the reason you can see how these things go together because when we're disciplined, we often learn lessons, right? And so discipline leads to instruction, and so sometimes the word discipline actually comes to be translated as instruction. So we learn a lesson. Then there's a third area, a third way that it's, it's often translated or kind of a, a concept, and it has to do with, you might call it self discipline. We talk about, hey, it's a new year, I just need to be more disciplined when it comes to X, right? And so we're talking about We need to self-control. We need to learn to say no to ourselves if we're going to be successful. And all three concepts are kind of tied up in this word. And the only way we can figure it out is the context. Like, well, which one is it really meaning here? So, for example, in Proverbs 1-2, if you have a new international Bible, it's going to say wisdom and discipline. If you have a new American Standard Bible or a King James Version, it's going to say wisdom and instruction. It's a discipline instruction. If you have a new century version, it will translate it wisdom and self control. See, see. So even translators will struggle sometimes. So, so which part of this discipline kind of conglomeration of where? Like which part is, is going on? But here's what you can say. As you look at the book of Proverbs and you stand back and you say, so boil it all down. What does it take to be successful? Over and over again, you're going to see this. The Proverbs, uh, Psalms, going to say. First of all, you have to get wisdom. But then you have to get discipline in the sense of self-control. In other words, to be successful in life, you have to see, first of all, how does life work? You have to understand it. And then you have to develop this self-control to go ahead and act on what you just saw, right? And all through the book, it's like this. It's going to say, hey, uh, let me tell you about anger. I know it's really fun just to go off on people. Whoa, but... Let me tell you the results of that. You know, so you just can't do whatever you want. Uh, it's going to say, you know what? Uh, it's going to say, hey, you're going to be in a situation sometime where someone presents himself as sexually available to you and it's going to look really good. And you know what? You can't go down that road. You're going to have to say no to yourself because this is what's going to happen if you do. There's going to be times where it says, hey, you know what? I know in this situation you just want to then use these words and just let this person have it. But, you know, words like that, let me tell you what the end result is. You can't do what you want to do. see, so over and over again, the book of Proverbs is going to say, get wisdom, how life works, but then get self-control, get discipline. Because it's going to key to your success. About 10 years ago, Lynn and I were bed and breakfasting down the coast of California. It was our 20-year anniversary. And so, first 10 years, we bed and breakfast on the coast of California I mean, not the whole 10 years, but for the anniversary. <laughs> and, uh, the, and then the second 20th year anniversary, we'd bed and breakfast down the coast to California and had a great time. We're celebrating this year our 30th anniversary. And, uh, and so that's in March. And so, um, but we're, we're going um, to do something different. We're going to go to Europe this time. We're like tired of California. And um, it's funny, we were supposed to go this last fall, but of course we didn't know we were coming to Rocky Peak. And so we, we decided not to do that. We'll put it off a year so, you know, uh, kind of get more situated here. But, um, anyway, so it's 20, so 20 year anniversary, we were bed and breakfast, we stopped, at, we stopped at, started at, uh, Half Moon Bay, right below, below San Francisco, and then went from there down to, uh, Santa Cruz, and then Carmel, and get down to Santa Barbara, and it was just, you know, a great time. But we come into Santa Barbara, and, and, uh, we wanted to see the movie Braveheart, it was just out at that time, and I love that movie. And so, uh, uh, of course, I didn't know I loved it then because I hadn't seen it. But anyway, I wanted to see it. Well, I, I thought I'd love the movie, and, and I did. But anyway, that's some no story. Okay. okay, anyway, so we, we go to see the movie Braveheart, and we got there early. And so uh, we had some time to kill. And right next door, there's this huge bookstore. And Lynn and I just love books. And so we went in. And there was this book that I'd read about in the LA Times. And it was a new book. Uh, it was a book review. And it, it, they, were, they were featuring it. And so I bought it. it was called, the book was called Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goldman, It's a great book. And uh, it was kind of a new concept at the time, and, and it's become kind of a normal concept now, but it was new. And so in that book, Daniel Goleman, you know, he studied successful people. What does it take to be successful? Uh, you know, and he studied all the research, and he says, you know what? What we found out is that being successful in life is not so much a matter of your IQ, It's a, it's a matter of like your EQ, your ability to deal with people and things like that. And and they broke it down and they said there was five components of emotionally intelligent people. And, and one of them was the, was self-control. And and they they studied successful people and said one thing that successful people have in common is they are, uh, these people are able to say no to themselves. They're able to say, they are able to embrace pain at the front of their life so they can embrace increased pleasure at the backside of their life. So, so they're, they're, they're able to say, no, that's not the right road, and, and do the hard thing now, and then reap the rewards later on. And, and so they had this one particular study that just fascinated me, It caught my, caught my eye. They, they did this study with four-year-olds, and this was in the early 1960s at, uh, at, up at Stanford. And so the Stanford researchers, they did this research with four-year-olds. They brought them in one by one into a room where they could watch the kid and the kid doesn't know they're there. And they, they would, the researcher would come in and he'd put a marshmallow in front of the little, the little child. And he'd say, No, if you want to have this marshmallow, you're, you're fine. You can just go ahead and eat it right now. But if you wait till I come back, you get two marshmallows. So it's measuring their ability to delay gratification. It's measuring their ability to, to, um, to, to exercise self-control to embrace the pain now for increased pleasure later on, right? Some of you are going, I'm still trying to figure that out, that marshmallow thing, but anyway. Um, and so then they, they, they would, you know, go away. And of course, some of the kids would just, you know, gulp, it's gone, you know, right away. And then there were some kids that that were like for 15 or 20 minutes they'd wrestle with themselves and they came up with these elaborate strategies, you know? Like they were covering their eyes and, and putting their heads down and walking around the room and making up these games with their hands and and uh, singing and some tried to go to sleep and they're just going to the extremes to you know, try to control themselves and, and some after 15 or 20 minutes they give in and eat the marshmallow and then there's some who'd wait the whole time there's a half an hour or something they wait the whole time the researcher come in and give them two marshmallows and so the reason they were doing this study is they wanted to track these kids for the next 12 to 14 years to see is there any relationship between their ability at four years old to say no to themselves and their ultimate their success or failure in life and so 12 to 14 years later they come back to these series of interviews with the, the kids parents and they study their grades and all this stuff. And, and amazing, amazing results from this. And, and here's why I want to read them to you. This happened to have a copy of that book. Okay. So here you go. Those who resisted temptation at four... We're now as adolescents, more socially competent, personally effective, self-assertive, and better able to cope with the frustrations of life. They were less likely to go to pieces, freeze, or regress under stress. They were less likely to become rattled or disorganized when pressured, and they embraced challenges and they pursued them instead of giving up even in the face of difficulties. They were self-reliant, they were confident, they were trustworthy, they were dependable, They took initiative, they plunged into projects, and more than a decade later, they were still able to delay gratification in pursuit of their goals. Even more surprising, when the tested children were evaluated again as they were finishing high school, those who had patiently waited at four were far superior as students to those who'd acted on a whim. According to their parents' evaluations, they were more academically competent, they were better able to put their ideas into words, to use and respond to reason, to concentrate, to make plans, to follow through with them, and more eager to learn. Most astonishingly, they had dramatically higher scores than their SAT tests, and at age of four, how children did on this test of de- delay of gratification, it turns out it's twice as powerful a predictor as of what their SAT scores will be than their IQ at the age of four. Isn't that amazing? You see, and that's what Solomon's saying. He's saying if you want to be successful in life, you have to get the insight into how it works, and then you have to develop the ability to say no to yourself. You stop and think about it. He's going to talk to us about this throughout the whole book. You know, you want to be successful in your marriage? There's certain things you have to learn to say no to yourself about so that you can say yes to yourself later on. You know, be successful in your finances, in your sexuality, in your relationships, in your friendships, in your career. He says he, it's, you have to get the insight. You have to have the self-control to act on the insight. There in your note sheet, there's a quote from Scott Peck from his book, The Road Less Traveled. I like the way he puts this. It's delaying gratification. It's a, proce- it's a process of scheduling the pain and pleasure in life In such a way as to enhance the pleasure by meeting and experiencing the pain first and getting it over with. It's the only decent way to live. It's been said, maybe you've heard this, there's kind of two ways to do life. We can either pay now and play later, or you play now and pay later. But if you play later, or you play now, the price is going to go up, right? Right? And, you know, it's one thing in just little areas that don't really matter, but you stop and think about some of the key areas of our life. And here's what Solomon says. is Not only are there two steps, get wisdom, get discipline, but there is a relationship between those two steps. There's a relationship, isn't there? Because when you get insight, it gives you the motivation to wait. Doesn't it? Like when you understand how life works, oh, that's what... And I was talking with a couple not very long ago. And uh, they were they were talking to me, and they're uh, a couple that uh, actually uh, an older couple, but they're about to uh, get married. And uh, and so we were talking, and and they said, you know what? Um, we made a decision a few months ago. We were considering moving in together before we got married, we, but we made the decision um, not to do that. I said, well, tell me about that. And they said, well, you know, we heard one of your sermons one week, and he said you, you you explained how couples who live together bef- or are sexually active before they're married. Have a higher divorce rate than those who don't. And so we never really, we never, we didn't know that. And we want our marriage to last for a lifetime. And so we're deciding to do it God's way because we want His, his blessing, you see? And you see what happened there? They got wisdom and the wisdom led them to get discipline, you see? And this is often the way it works. Once we understand how life works, and that's why Proverbs is so awesome. Once we understand how life works, it increases our level of self-control. Like, oh, that's why. That's why I can't have an affair with that lady at work. Oh, now I get it. Other than my wife killing me, (laughs) I now have other reasons. See? Oh, that's why I can't just let off steam with my kids. And just say, what's the big deal? It's no big, it's just words. I'm just letting off steam. Oh, that's why. Oh, that's why I need to work hard on my job and not procrastinate. Oh, that's why. You see, once we get the wisdom, it increases the discipline. You see, there's a relationship there. And so in this series, we're going to be going through, we'll see these two steps over and over again as as Solomon talks in a bunch of different areas. And uh, I hope you can be with us next week because remember, get wisdom is the first step. So how do you become a wise person? Well, next week, we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to talk about that. What Solomon says, here's how you get wisdom. Wisdom, anyone can become a wise person. This is a choice. Anyone can become a wise person, but it doesn't come automatically. There's certain decisions we have to make. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible book. God, I just, I hate to think, Lord, what my life would be without this book. Just, I, if you've used it so much in my life, Lord, to shape my heart to, shape my family and marriage and work life and leadership principles, friendships. God, it's like a gold mine. And you've given it to us, Lord, and you've said, here it is. Just study it and learn so that you can become wise and you can get the most out of life. And Lord, that's what we want to do as a congregation. And so we pray that you'd give us a heart to be like Solomon, that we would fill in that blank check by saying, God, more than anything else, we want to get wisdom. And then as we do, Lord, that you would increase our self-control and we would get discipline. And as the an end result, we would get the most out of life. We pray this in your name. Amen. After the service last night, before I get the final word, some thoughts come to me when I was down there. It's interesting. You know, and the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says that, that Jesus has been made to us the wisdom of God. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes that in him, in Christ, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so when we study the book of Proverbs, I know Solomon wrote them, but the wisdom that he received was not his. It was really from the one who created him. The one who created all of us is from Jesus himself, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so as we go through this study in the book of Proverbs, what we're really studying is the mind of Christ. Christ. You know, we're studying how God thinks. You know, we're studying how Jesus thinks about these areas of life. It's interesting. In his day, Jesus was once talking to the religious leaders who were not listening to him. And he said, you know, you guys, you know how to tell the weather, but you don't know how to tell the time, the sign of the times. He said, you know, there is one wiser here right now than Solomon. Right? And so, Jesus comes to us as the leader of this congregation, and he says, "Um, I'm going to be leading you in the next eight, ten weeks. We're going to talk about wisdom. I'm going to let you into my mind, how I look at life, how to do life. And part of being my disciple is to learn how to think like I think. I'm going to explain to you how life works. I hope you can be here every week as we unpack this amazing book. What a treasure house of wisdom it is for us. And may this week... As you spend time, whether it's in your life journals or some other way with God, as you spend time in your life groups or some other groups, these are all ways we're seeking wisdom. May we watch daily at at her door so we may learn day by day how this life is supposed to be lived. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.